You've got a passion for the outdoors, a desire to feel the warm sun on your face, the sound of your fly line whipping through the air, the pop of the water as the fish inhales the fly you just found in the floorboard of your truck. You need to feel the cool waters on your feet, the crisp north breeze of a November morning, the sound of a turkey gobble, the December rut, the chills of an elk bugle in September. It's the longing passion to chase your obsession. This is what we share. This is what we preach. Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. Sounded crisp. Delicious. Mm -mm. Zach, how are you today? I'm good. I'm nervous. I'm substitute on the on the soundboard here. So the button is red. That means we're recording. So far, so good. Good. Yeah. Good. You can hear me. I can hear you. Yep. All the levels are green, so that's good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Perfect. I've, I've lasted a minute and six seconds so far. So Let's as see. you guys can probably tell, <coughs> Adair is out. Zach Adair is out. He is at spring training for baseball, so he's having fun out there with his wife. So me and Harris. Yay. I can just call you Zach this week instead yeah. of Harris because you're the only Zach here. Yeah. So with me is Zach Harris, and we have an interview. We didn't decide what Trout Fest interview we're going to pull. I gave you three options. What interview would you like to put on the back of this thing? Oh, let's see. Give me the options again. So we got Yako. Science on the fly. Science on the fly. We got Yako. Uh-huh. And we have and uh, Casting for, for Recovery. recovery. Mm. That's tough. Let's do... Let's do science on the fly. Okay. So uh, we're going to do our little pre-show thing. After we're done talking for a bit, you're going to hear an interview with Science on the Fly. They do basically water quality testing with citizen scientists for streams and rivers across the country. We interviewed them at Trout Fest and uh, we're excited to have them on. So that's what the interview is going to be after this. Before we get into that, what's new with you, Zach? What's new with me? Yeah. Uh, I've been tying a lot more than I have been. That's pretty new. Yeah, Honey Hole got you energized. Yeah, yeah, I figure if I'm going to be the only one posting content, I better get to work, right? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, shots fired. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's it's cool. It's great. It's great to be back, but it also is expensive to be back, so, yeah. But that's cool. What about you, Landon? Anything new with you? Well, um, work has been nuts, so I yeah. have had no free time this week. Our AC went out, so when it rains, it pours, I guess. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. Yeah, is it? And it's supposed to be windy, too. I heard it was supposed to get down in the 40s by, like, the end of the week. Yeah, it's supposed to be cold and windy, and maybe if it's windy, more tree branches will come down, and you have more work to do. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no hail, no tornadoes, no trees falling, no freezing. Oh, don't want anybody to that. get hurt. No tornadoes. No. And we need rain, but not <coughs> thunderstorms. Just, like, a set, steady, we need, like, a steady stream of rain. Well, if we get a steady stream, it's going to have to be like three weeks worth. <laughs> we need like the, the the biblical flood to come because our rivers are dry. <laughs> I drove by the Blanco today, and it was just a giant slab of limestone for as long as you can yeah, see. Yeah, that's what uh, Jeff has some access to a private property place on the Blanco, and he was saying that like there's no water at the property. you got to walk a ways to find a pool. Yeah. Once, we, once you get closer to like the state park, there was, you know, kayakable water. But up from that, whew, yeah, there was rock. There was no water. So you were at a fly tying event this weekend. I was. What happened at Orvis San Antonio? We had. Why a would you go there? 
do you mean, why would There's I go there? There's a bunch of degenerates work there. That's true. It's true. Everybody's drunk all the time. Free beer in the <laughs> fridge. No. It was cool. It was so Orvis San Antonio hosted a real recovery fly tying marathon where you could either bring in flies or you could sit down and tie them there. And they had snacks and drinks and all sorts of stuff. And it was fun. A lot of people brought flies. Um, there was a handful, probably hmm, five or six of us tying and enjoying ourselves, but there was a lot of flies donated for real recovery, and that was fantastic. I thought I heard saw like over three hundred flies. Yeah, easy. Yeah, one guy. I don't know his name. If uh, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but one guy brought H E B shopping bags, two or three of them full of flies. Man, that's a lot of. Had flies. Had he tied them, or was he just like cleaning it, cleaning out? I don't know. I recognized a few. Like I said, there was some sandbar, Nick Vlahos flies in there. I yeah. recognize them specifically because those are just unique to everybody. Um, and then there were some that I've never seen before. So maybe he tied them or maybe somebody tied them for him. I'm not sure. Uh, there were a lot of flies brought in. So that was good. Nice. Yeah, it was cool. What did you tie? Hoppers. Kind of. Hop. It's like a spider hopper, like it's a little thing that... Actually, Sounds like it's going to work great on the Guadalupe oh yeah. real recovery, dude. No, when I first got serious about fly fishing, that was the first pattern that I had a lot of success with that I didn't even have to try. As soon as it hit the water, the sunfish would come up and eat it, yeah. so that was cool. Uh, but, yeah, so I tied a bunch of those. Um, Sam was there. He tied some little redfish flies that are going to work great on the river because they're only about an inch long, little streamers. I mean, there's... Sam was there. Sam was there. Hi, Sam. If you're, if you're Hey, Sam. This. And if you guys uh, haven't listened, early on we interviewed Sam about his uh, almost being arrested for fishing <laughs> at uh, Japanese Tea Garden. If you guys want to listen to that episode, it is fantastic, uh-huh. but it's way back on the list. Probably 100 episodes ago-ish, if I was to guess, so... Go back and dig through, but Sam at the Japanese Tea Gardens. But hey, Sam. Hi, Sam. How's, how's the fishing been, Sam? I brought that up when we were there, and he ignored it. The Japanese Tea Gardens? Yeah, I brought it up multiple times, and he just refused to acknowledge my existence when I said that. I don't know if he wasn't listening or what. Well, you know, when you, become, when you have a story that becomes so famous, everyone asks you about it. I'm sure at like some point <coughs> it gets old. <laughs> he did it to himself. <laughs> Going there. I mean, come on. That's like San Antonio fishing history right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. I wouldn't mind fishing there if it was, you know, ethical. If you weren't going to get, like, put in handcuffs and yeah. set on the street. Yeah. yeah. It would be cool. Catch some, like, big butterfly koi. Post it on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mind that. Somebody caught one of those recently. Or at least there's a picture that's been going around in this fish. Most beautiful fins I've ever seen. Looked like a giant betta fish, like a 10-pound betta fish. Yeah. It was cool. So I uh, went fishing with my buddy Jeff. You know Jeff from no, the no recovery. Jeff. We went trout fishing, and it was one of those days where you catch sunfish, bass, and trout because we caught eight sunfish wow. and eight trout. Were they sizable sunfish? Uh, We were fishing a little creek. So no? So, uh, you know, they were feisty. Yeah. They were feisty, I'll say that. Fishing like a small fiberglass rod. Trout, bass, and sunfish. How many places in this country can you do that all in one day? We're going to try soon, but we're going to do trout, bass, and redfish. Yeah, that's going to be cool. We're trying to put that on the calendar. We're going to need to get sponsored by Red Bull to make that day happen, that's for sure. Ooh, Red <laughs> Bull gives you wings, man. Yeah, it does. You know they can't say that anymore. Really? 
I think that why someone sued him over it because they didn't get wings. Yeah. And You're joking. No, no. Oh, gosh. What has and happened they, to us? Because <laughs> you'll notice that they don't do, like, those commercials, those Red Bull Gives You Rings commercials anymore. You know, I heard on the radio the other day, and I haven't looked into this, so I don't know a bunch of the facts or anything, but somebody's suing Buffalo Wild Wings because the boneless wings are not actually wings. Because Everybody the, knows boneless wings are just chicken nuggets. Well, yeah, but this person is suing them. And I, I think, again, I heard this on the radio, so... Fact check me, or if you fact check me, I'm sorry if I'm wrong. But is any boneless wing actually the wing, though? No, no. If it was, it would be like shredded chicken. If it was the actual <laughs> wing without the bone. But I think Buffalo Wild Wings actually responded on Twitter or something, saying, "Yep, it's true. Our 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 boneless wings aren't actually wings, and we don't have any buffalo meat in our wild wings, or something like that." They were just trolling them. It was pretty mm. cool. It was pretty funny. But uh, yeah. What a what a world we live in. Suing Red Bull because they did not get wings for drinking it. We live in a very litigious time. We Lawsuits flying around I'm all over the place. I need you to just define that word for me. Litigious, uh, people uh, ready to sue at a given at a moment's ah, notice. Okay, yeah, I kind of figured. Context yeah. clues told me that. Yeah, but man, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's people crazy. suing people for a- anything and everything these days. It's dumb. Gotta love it. Yeah. When did that even start? What started that movement? Because that seems like it happens all the time now. Just somebody realized they could make a bunch of money for nothing, and it's like a, a virus that just spread. Yeah. yeah. Basically, people wanting – I think it's people wanting to lo- win the lottery. And I'm not saying that there's not a right time to sue because – There is. There is a right time to sue, but you're suing Buffalo Wild Wings because their boneless wings aren't actually wings – that is not the right time to sue. Yeah, that's just makes you look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all right. But who's the idiot when that dude has ten million dollars in his pocket that's and true. we're talking shit on a podcast? It, you know what? I can, I'll argue that it's ridiculous all day long, but I can at least understand what that guy's, you know, what his thought process is. Right? It's not actually wings, but the Red Bull thing. Come on, <laughs> come on, man! Man, they say they give you wings. <sighs> Dude jumps off a, a kid jumps off a house after he drinks some Red Bull, and he's like, man, I thought Red Bull gave me wings. Well, one can argue, because I'm pretty sure, if memory serves me right, that in the commercial when it says Red Bull gives you wings, it always has it in, like, a caption, and they spell wings with two eyes. That's Ooh. not bird wings, right? That's something else. It's got to be something else, hmm. right? It's spelled differently. There's the argument right there. Boneless wings, man. Red Bull gives you boneless wings. Yeah, we'll see. That one's only spelled with one eye. <laughs> so. Crazy. Crazy. Oh. It's, it's, wild. it's the Wild West out there, man. Yeah. Okay. So, let's talk about some stuff. Man, this article. Okay. We got some good, we got some good stories for you guys today. Let's start with On Patrol. Zach? What button do I press? The on patrol, the one that says on patrol. The green one. <coughs> yes. Good, good job. Thank you. So, a long time ago, we talked about how the Salt Life co-founder. Oh, yeah. Was This was a long time ago. You're going to have to go back in the Honey Hole history books for this. How he, like, murdered his, or was <coughs> accused of murdering his girlfriend. Shooting her, like, in the stomach in a hotel room. Shooting her in a hotel room. Well, as of like three weeks ago, 
he pled guilty to manslaughter in uh, the Lake City 18-year-old's death. Oh, I forgot she was only 18, too. You know what's real the, weird the about like this? He's like 45, man. And he looks like a crackhead. Straight up. <laughs> he's like missing teeth, and he's got leather skin from dude, living in Florida. <laughs> dude, those are fake teeth, bro. Oh, yeah, but he's still missing one. How do you yeah. miss one if, if they're all fake? fake? Yeah. Dude, he looks like, if I, if, if I said... His hair looks like Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> if I said Florida crackhead, and you guys, a picture's coming in your mind. Yeah. That's what this guy looks like. Yep. And Straight then he up. has an 18-year-old girlfriend. It's because he's a millionaire and it's Salt Life. And Salt Life was super popular. You're, dude. No, don't say that. <laughs> dude, we, the whole reason we got on this conversation is because you're wearing a Salt Life shirt today. <sighs> I am. I'm not supporting crackhead murderers. I just like the shirt. <laughs> it's really comfortable. It looks like a nice shirt. Yeah, it's a great shirt. It's a great shirt. You have a Salt Life sticker? No. That's different. Yeah, no Salt Life sticker. So... He pled guilty to manslaughter and uh, was sentenced to 12 years in prison, which is horribly low. Right. Right. It's going to get He really pleaded down, probably. So they probably <laughs> gave him the manslaughter charge to plead down. And I don't know if this is like a maximum penalty is 12 years for manslaughter, but. I don't know, and I don't know if the district attorney didn't feel like they had the evidence to convict him on like first degree murder. I don't know, man. It just seems like a low, like you murder someone, an eighteen year old, <laughs> and you get twelve years. That just seems like, yeah, doesn't uh, it doesn't the 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 punishment does not match the crime, no, at all. I mean, people get more for worse. You know what I mean? More for less. Or or yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But like people get more for weed. Yeah? Yeah. They do, actually. It's a little silly. Because weed's I, like legal in some place. Murder's definitely not legal <laughs> anywhere. Not here anyway. Not in the US. Yeah. Well. I don't think it's technically legal anywhere, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not legal anywhere. I would just say maybe and there's some countries that's probably like nobody's gonna do anything to you. If you did it. Okay, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, there's... Eh, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not a good thing to get into, I don't think. So, yeah, that's wild, though. It seems like a low sentence. Yeah. Especially with as much true crime as I watch. Seems like a low sentence. Yeah, well, maybe maybe they figure he's like 50. I'd watch, <laughs> a, I'd watch a true crime documentary on this story. That'd be interesting. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd watch it. Yeah. I mean, I watched the one with the the couple, the young couple that were like living out of their van. The dude killed his girlfriend, and then like oh, left the off Brian to the Laundry f- left to the Florida swamps. Uh, yeah. Brian Laundry and yeah, that uh, one. I watched that one. Gabby Petito. Yeah, yeah, that was sad, man. That, that was wild. Was, like, just living life. Yeah. What? What do you know? He retreated to the Florida swamps, right? Florida. Yeah, killed himself. Yeah. Fed himself to the gators. Yeah, that was a sad story. It it's was. crazy how media picked that one up and mm-hmm. ran with it too, and how everybody was talking about <coughs> it. Yep. Yeah. It also had like a lot of uh, good uh, because they had that police stop the day before. Uh huh. So there was like a lot of good like evidence, evidence leading Video up to it. Evidence, because a lot of a lot of stuff you never hear about, but there's just like someone vanishes, and then there's no evidence whatsoever of anything, and so yeah. there's like. 
what do you do? But this one, there was kind of like a tr- there was a trail to follow because they had a YouTube channel and they were going on mm-hmm. a journey, and you could follow the trail, and they had had interactions with police, yep. and um, it kind of like exploded. It explo- It was crazy. Yeah, I saw there's all sorts of people on TikTok making videos about it, and it just yeah. like it it blew up the world. I guess you could say everybody was talking about. I it. I think there's still some stuff there with the parents <coughs> maybe being charged as accomplices. Okay. Yeah, I can because see that. Uh, apparently there's a lot of evidence that they knew that he killed her, and they were like helping him. Yeah, it seemed like they knew. Watching the 2020 or whatever it was, it seemed like they knew where he was and what happened to him. After like after he disappeared, yeah, um, I don't remember exactly how, but it's like they they were able to walk them to the spot that all his belongings were, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's well, sounds like they had something to do with. Well, it. and apparently, you know, this is speculation. We don't really know, but apparently, you know, you know, he had come forward pretty early saying that he killed her, and so they had like information like way before people knew that she was dead, uh. that she was dead, and they were trying to help him like clean up. And you know, not look suspicious. I see type of situation. So even going far back, I'm like, well, they belong to the Gators too. Then might as well. Yeah. That's yeah. It's sad. It's amazing. It's amazing how so, heartless people can be. I know. So new article. I got another story oh, for you guys. What color? Tell me what color. Uh, let's do uh creature. No, 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 not creature watch. Uh, new things in nature. I have dedicated my professional career to the study and control of arthropods. That was that's satisfying. Pressing those buttons, I see why Zach likes to do this. Yep. Alligator was returned to the Central Texas Zoo twenty years after a volunteer <laughs> stole it as an egg. This happened in New Braunfels. Yes. Well, so the snake farm and zoo—it used to just be the snake farm—is in New Braunfels, but the person, if I remember, lives in Austin. They took the alligator to Austin. Yes, and they're a volu- they were a volunteer to right. the snake farm. Yeah. Um, I can kind of understand why somebody would want to steal an alligator, but it's like, are you not thinking about what it's going to turn into? Like a baby? Like, okay, I'd want to take it home too. I wouldn't, but I would want to. But, you know, it's going to grow up. How are you going to hide that? Dude, they had that thing for 20 years. Yeah, it was full size, right? How long does it yeah. take for alligators to mature? Not very long, I imagine. They either took the egg or the hatchling, put it in their pocket, and took off and kept it as a pet. What did they feed it? Chickens? It had been living illegally in the backyard and had grown to nearly eight feet. Oh, my gosh. And then it says alligators don't make good pets. I feel like that would, like, if somebody's buying 20 chickens a week, I feel like that would raise a red flag. She's going to face two charges, one for illegal possession of an alligator egg and the other for possession of an alli- of an alligator without a permit. And it got sent back to the Animal World and Stink Farm Zoo. Well, that's good. I'm glad they got reunited. Dude, what the heck? What are people thinking? What are they thinking when, I, when they do stuff like this? You know, people keep, like, big cats, too. Yeah, actually. it's cool. I grew up two houses down from a guy that had tigers. Really? Yeah. Did you ever like pet them and stuff? Or hell no, no, man! If I got close enough to the fence, because you can see the well, you used to be able to see the cages from the street, and if you get close enough to the fence, uh, that's close to the cages, they'll show their teeth at you. I've had a tiger bare its teeth at me before. Let me tell you how horrifying that is. Even though they're behind bars and a high fence with barbed wire on top, it's still pretty scary. But Dang. yeah, no, we would wake up like I'd be walking to the school bus stop, and you could hear them like roaring in the morning. 
Because they're, they're like three houses down from my parents' Dude, house. Dude, how cool would it be to wake up in the morning to tigers roaring as opposed to roosters? Oh, it's amazing. And pe- they have peacocks, too, so those are annoying. But the tigers are cool. I- I'll tell you. They I know. I can tell you why they had peacocks. To distract the tigers if they food. got out. Yeah. I don't know if it was for food or not, but I know that they were. One of the purposes they were there is if the tigers got out of the cage, they would, they would be distracted by the peacocks instead of trying to get out of the yard if they saw a deer or something. Okay. Yeah. So um, food. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Easy food. I will tell you that tigers don't sound like you think they sound. Do a do an impression for I, me. I can't. <laughs> I can't do an impression. I don't know. They sound like Chewbacca. Dude. Chewbacca. Straight up Chewbacca. Pretty cool. That guy, he, he passed away a few years back, so, and after that they got rid of the tigers. So, they're so did they anymore. get taken to, uh, oh, what's that guy's name? The place in Oklahoma? The place in Oklahoma oh, or the place in name? Florida? Oh, my gosh. Tiger, Tiger King. King. What's his name? Did they get taken to his Joe place? Exotic. Joe Exotic's yeah. place or Carol Baskin's place? Hopefully Joe Exotic's place. Honestly, if I had to choose a side, I'm <laughs> Joe Exotic all the way just because he's crazy. He's insane. He's, well, you he's are entertaining. The, yeah. He's, you are the you are the redneck Zach. The wild Zach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll accept so that. So that makes sense. One time. And I'm almost fairly certain that Adair would say he would rather the Tigers go to Carol Baskin. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, was recently trying to... Not to, to speak for you, Zach, but I think no, I'm no, fairly no, confident. Yeah, no, that. that's fine. Yeah. You're, I mean, uh, I was trying to explain to somebody recently who has never even heard of Tiger King... I was trying to explain the whole idea behind what it is and what these people are, and, and she wasn't, like, I don't think she understood, so I showed her Joe Exotic's, like, presidential campaign video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was like, what's wrong with these people? I said, yeah, exactly. It's People are nuts. Speaking of on patrol, I think uh, Carol Baskin, husband was found. I think I saw that in the news not too long ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, get nice. this. All right. Yeah, Carol Baskin's dead husband was found alive, but no one noticed. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah, so, so apparently Joe's she didn't kill her husband and feed him to the lions. Okay, so I should have been on her side and not Joe's <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, apparently. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Oh, my God. I remember when you did a video starting with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently her husband was found alive. It's what a couple articles are saying. I'm not going to read them, read them, but um well good for him. He didn't he wasn't canned into a friskies package. Well, okay, maybe he's still missing because Carol Baskin claims her dead husband is alive and well. Car- Carol Baskin said dead husband Don Lewis is actually alive. Oh. Well. Okay, well, we're back to square one. Carol Baskin, dead husband found alive, but no one noticed. So is this floor uh, sheriff's office says <coughs> this was published January the 19th. Florida sheriff's office said Tiger King star Carol husband, Baskin's husband still missing despite her claims. Never mind. Yeah, so she's still – any. I feel like any murderer, assuming that she did, would, would try to convince the public that – you know, the person's yep. still alive, so who knows? I'm not saying she did or didn't, but she's a weird person. So is Joe, though, so I guess the whole situation Dude. is just really weird. Dude, Joe's a weird guy. Yeah. 
Hey, but you know what? He's living life. He's living his best life. In prison. Yeah. I mean, it's a good place for him. (laughs) 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 Never mind. Forget it. So, uh, I got one more story. Uh, What color? Left or right? And what color? uh, I don't know. What's the story? It's the monkey story. Creature watch. (laughs) Sure. I mean, it fits. It's not like a mythical or mysterious (laughs) creature, but... Escaped pet monkey attacks a woman outside her home in Oklahoma and ripped her ear off. What what kind of monkey was it? A woman is recovering from serious injuries after she was attacked by a monkey outside her of her home in southern Oklahoma. Was this near uh, Joe Exotics? <laughs> he had monkeys too, man. It seems like everybody has monkeys. Um, There's a lot of places and a lot of people like out by where I live. So we had the guy that with tigers and then down the road, there's another guy's house. He has giraffes and zebras. This is like two miles down the road. And then across the street from my high school, they had monkeys and, and zebras and all sorts of stuff over yeah. there, too. I think that's just something for rich people to to have. And instead of mounted on their wall, they have them walking around their front yard. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go on, monkey. Hmm. You grew up around It's a pretty redneck thing. I guess, uh, yeah. Redneck Zach. I'm, I'm the trash Zach, apparently. Tra- trashy Zach. Yeah. Well, what do we say? Yeah, is it trashy Zach? Something like that. I'm not the, not a school teacher. I'm a construction worker, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she said she was inside the house when she noticed the animal on our front porch. Parker said she initially called family members to show them the unexpected visitor Great. Oh, so this wasn't her monkey? No. Oh, no. okay, okay. She had FaceTimed some family. I was like, look, <laughs> there's a monkey. Uh, he was pacing back, and then he was jumping off my railing and hitting my storm door. Parker said the animal tore off part of the door handle, which prompted her to call 911. Officers with the Dickinson Police Department, as well as the game warden from Oklahoma Wildlife Department, arrived to find the monkey still on the porch. The police department said in a news release, but as officers exited their patrol video, they said the animal moved towards them and jumped on the rear of the car. She could see the interaction between officers and the monkey from inside her home and recalled thinking the animal was acting friendly, so she stepped outside with her son. The monkey then ran towards the victim, climbed onto her, and... Uh, the animal pulled out her hair before attacking her right ear, which was severely injured. He crawled up my back, yanked out multiple wads of hair, and then ripped my ear in half. It was just hanging there. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. I think... Um, Does it say what kind of monkey it was? It's like a chimp? I hear there's a lot of stories of chimps like... There's the... Picture of the monkey. Oh, I don't know what kind of monkey not it is. A chimp. It's not a chimp. No, I don't know what that is. But I've I've seen those like in videos and stuff a lot. They can be pretty. I don't want to say aggressive, but they're pretty all over the place. The only thing I can think of is she didn't learn from our uh, podcast last week. She should have tried to strangle it out. Yeah. Yeah. The dude, oh, the cougar guy. Yeah, yeah the cougar yeah. guy. If you if a dude can strangle a cougar, you can strangle this small, tiny little monkey. Uh, I think a cougar is a bigger target. Monkey. I feel like it would be harder to, like, get, you know, find your bearings and grab the monkey by the neck. Whereas a cougar, it's pretty easy to decide where its neck is. Dude. I don't know. Cougar, the muscle? Yeah. Dude. No, I know that. but No, but a monkey, I mean, I mean, I know monkeys are, like, 
size comparison wise, like much stronger than humans. But that monkey versus a cougar, the cougar is devouring that monkey one hundred percent of the time. This is a, like a pretty small little monkey. True. True. You could just like do the Hulk thing where you like grab it by the legs and then well, just whip it around. You seen the video of the the bobcat attacking the lady and the guy? She's screaming like it. They were walking out to their driveway and their ring camera or something picked it up. And this bobcat came out of nowhere and attacked her. And her husband grabbed it by the neck and threw it across the yard. Like I feel like I would att- I would go for a monkey before a bobcat. So yeah, I I, I guess. Yeah, monkey would be. I did see that out. video yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, that was a crazy video. Yeah, but a bobcat's not like bobcat compared to a cougar. No, I know, I know. I'm just saying like, if he could do that to a bobcat, I feel like somebody doing it to a monkey too. But it also depends yeah. on like how calm you are under pressure. That's true too. So if a monkey started climbing up me, I don't. I'd probably panic too and not like be able to think straight because it's probably really fast. Have you seen the video of the dude that punches the kangaroo that steals the dog? Yeah. Dude, that, that's scary too, <laughs> man. Dude, those things. Things are dude, ripped. That kangaroo too was like yeah. jacked, man. It, given the rock a run for his money, <laughs> know, dude. dude. That thing was big. Gosh. All right, Zach. Well, what have we been working on other than, uh, you know, we've been hanging out a lot. and We've yeah. got the Ironfly, which is October 21st. Yep. More info coming soon. Very soon. We've been posting, consistently posting fly tying videos to the YouTube channel. Basically, our commitment to y'all is every Friday we will have a fly tying video. <coughs> and anything extra on top of that is a bonus. Yeah, and you know what? Do us a favor. If you watch the video, give us some feedback. If you want to message us on Instagram or email us, just let us know. If there's anything we should do differently, anything you'd like to see added, um, and then if anybody can tell us what fly we tied last week. Landon, can we give them some stickers? What fly we tied last week? Yeah, for the video. We posted a video last week. We did, but it's already out there. I mean, it's kind of, it's an easy guess. So, okay, no, no. Here's what we're going to do, Zach. I was thinking, like, you know how in the last video I put the irony the in irony. the video. Remember what would it was ironic that I put in the video. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I remember. We talked about this. Okay, okay. there we go. Yeah, so tell them. What tell we're going to do is we're going to either put a surprise, something ironic in every fly tying video. First one to comment it is going to get a pack of stickers. So go watch the fly tying videos. Find the ironic twist or hidden surprise and or secret. Comment it. First comment with the correct answer. We'll mail stickers to. Now, this isn't going to be like, oh, he tied these legs legs in longer than the others. This is going to be something that's pretty easy to spot if you're watching for it kind of thing? Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's the not going to be the like one a mistake. I put in the, first, the one I put in the first video is pretty obvious. Okay. But you also took you an hour to tie a fly. Yeah. So. So that's the thing is you never know. It could be in the beginning. could be in the end. So people it are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, yeah, I watched your guys' fly tying video, but it was a freaking <laughs> hour. How about you guys cut some time off of them? Zach. You know, I wish I could say I was explaining things, but it wasn't. It wasn't me explaining. It was me breaking thread and forgetting tools and looking for materials and, you know, real-life fly tying, not not Hollywood fly tying. Well, it was a lot of explaining, but it's yeah. a pretty in-depth fly. It's two flies because yes. you have the back and the front with the baby yonga. You have two shanks, so you're tying two flies. And me and Zach were having a good time talking while we were tying, so. 
Um, so when this podcast comes out, the the fly we're talking about would be a week and a half old, almost two weeks old. The baby gonga. Yes, the baby gonga. And then we have another one coming out for this Friday. Yeah. The uh, gangster crab. Yes, kind of. I think modeled after, if not exactly like the gangster crab. So we'll call it a gangster crab. If you guys are interested in live streams, that's something that we've been oh, talking yeah. about. Let us know. We're trying to like get some get some projects going. So let us know what you guys would be interested in too. Because if we're going to waste our time, we might want to know that. Yeah. Or if there's something you guys really want. Because we're thinking about maybe doing like a YouTube live stream. Like, you know, scheduling them out. But like we go on tie flies, invite other tires on. and Or go hang out. or Yeah. Or... You know, as far as, like, Instagram reels or, or YouTube shorts, is there any tips anybody would like to see? You know, I know that the market's kind of saturated right now, but is there anything specific, like, you know, Fly Fishing Ozarks does fly tying or materials tips and fly tying tips and, and stuff like that. So if there's anything you guys want to see specific, yeah. let oh, us yeah, that's, know. That's good. Or if you want us to tie it fly specifically. Oh, yeah. We can take take uh, requests. That would be cool. Cut. Coming up, we have uh, so we have the gangster crab. Mm-hmm. Then we have what are you doing next, Zach? We I got approval from Mr. Bennett to tie a video of the lunch money, so that'll be pretty cool. Nice. And then after that one, we'll have another articulated streamer that's like an adult lunch money. It's it's articulated, hooked down, but it's got a lot of the same characteristics as a lunch money, just bigger. What's it called? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's a if it's got a name, if it belongs to anybody, or or what? Because it doesn't. It looks, I guess, kind of like the Flugin Zombie, but I don't think it's technically a Flugin. But it's laser dub. Yeah, laser dub, rabbit, slopping, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But um, okay. So I will do my best to see if I can find out where this came from because I tied started tying it a few years back. So. Pretty sure it was modeled after a fly fish food fly, fly, but I'll have to look into it and figure out the name. Okay. Anyway, it's a cool fly. Cool. I like it. I think it's awesome. And then we have Honey Hole Hates Trash going on. Yep. So if you guys go fishing, pick up some trash, send us some pictures, and what happens after that? You could win a prize pack from Tough Fly. Cool. Yep. It's uh, They're like fly tying like UV, but it's blue light instead of UV. Ooh, that's good. It's Kevin's company that he bought, and... Uh, we're giving out a couple of them. Yeah, that's cool. So your chances are really good to win. The link is in the description of this podcast. The link is in our Instagram bio. The link is on our website. So go pick up trash, take a photo, fill out some information, submit the form, and you guys are entered to win. And just what's the benefit of the blue light over the UV? The benefit of the blue light is that uh, UV light gives you like eye issues like cataracts. Mm-hmm. And so the blue light does not do that. Does it cure as easily as UV does? Uh, it cures. Yeah. 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 Okay. It, cu- it cures easily. Cool. All right. Yeah. We, we should probably make a video going over it. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't use a lot of UV, but we can come up with something. That's for sure. Or you can, like, try it out and see what you think. And yeah. That's yeah. true. That's true. We can come Ooh, up with Ooh. So I ordered... I made an impulse, a big fly fishing impulse purchase. Uh oh, what'd you get? Another raft? What Can do I you have th- your old one? What do you think I got? Uh, fly f- realistically, fly fishing or fly tying impulse? Fly fishing impulse purchase. The blackout Helios. And it was two hundred dollars. Not the blackout Helios. Oh man, 
fly fishing impulse purchase. That was $200. And it was discounted at $200, but it was not an employee discount, if that makes things easier for you. Mm. So it was like on their website posted down to like, I think it was like 175 or 179 What website? You can't tell me? I think that'll give it away. Was it a TFO rod? No. Oh. Dude, I got too many fly rods. I ain't <sighs> buying rods. If you want to keep some at my house, you can. Are you going to use it like that paddleboard you've been keeping? <laughs> no, I paid for that. <laughs> That's mine. Um, I don't know, man. What would you get? I got uh, waiters. Waiters? Yeah, so I got because uh, I – Oh, the website was Orvis then? No, Patagonia. Patagonia, oh, Patagonia for 100 – oh, my God. So they were on sale. So Patagonia makes these pair of ultra, ultra, ultra light waiters. They pack about this big. <clears throat> and I got wow. them because I travel a lot. For those of you that aren't able to see this, Landon held up a shape with his hands the size of a baked potato. Like uh, a big baked, like a Texas Roadhouse baked potato. This like big. a big baked potato. Like a football. Like two baked potatoes. <laughs> like a small football. <laughs> like a small football. So I do a lot of traveling, flying, and I go fishing. And my waders are, like, big and bulky, and they're a pain to pack. And I got that trip to Montana this year, and I saw them on sale on Patagonia's website. So I ordered them. What's weird, though, and I actually, they came in today, but I haven't opened the box yet. So they're real. They're real. They're I- they're at the house. The Patagonia logo wasn't, a like, a sticker? It didn't Dude, it was from the Patagonia wet. website. <laughs> okay. All right. Just making sure. But the booties are rubber instead of neoprene. Ooh. Which is going to be weird. <laughs> That's going to be. Did you put them on yet? No. no I haven't you, even opened yeah. the box. I figured I'd make a video, like an unboxing. Oh, yeah. That'd be cool. Do it. I want to see those rubber booties. That's weird. But as small as they pack, because, dude, a real pair of waders is yeah. big and bulky and heavy. Yeah. These are supposed to be, like. Well, but I also figure, though, like, I fished with Jeff on Saturday, and it was one of those days where, like, when you're in the, like, the it's warm outside. The water's kind of cool. But my waders were warm because they're real heavy. So I figured, like, these waders might be good for those, like, fringe days where it's, yeah. like, you probably could wet weight and be a little cold. Or you're going to wear waders and you're going to be warm. So, like, maybe these ultralight waders would be, yeah. like, perfect. At least keep me dry. Um, but being, like, so thin that they're um, nicer to wear. Have you ever put neoprene boot waders on? Like, regular waders with neoprene booties without socks? No. Okay, well, that feels horrible. So I'm trying to imagine how the rubber is going to feel. Well, you can wear socks on the rubber. Yeah, I know that, but it's going to stick. Like, I'm curious. I'm, when you're wearing them, I'm sure it'll be fine, but getting them on is going to be weird. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm basically trying to say I want to know what that feels like when you put them on. Yeah, well, I'll show you because I'll, yeah. I'll put them on here. I'm also, like, you know, I've always done, like, the stocking uh, foot waders. Yeah. But, like, a lot of companies are making, like, more boot foot waiter options now. See, I feel like kind those, of like those leak, like they're they're more prone to leaking. I've aren't always they? I've always heard that, but with like the way that waders are made now, Maybe. you know, because they've uh, you know Orvis and Sims and like the big uh, Patagonia, the big waiter manufacturers, they put a lot of effort into like you know designing seams and things like that that don't leak. And I feel like it's probably like at a better stage than it used to be when boot foot waders were the only option. Yeah. And not necessarily just... But it'd be kind of nice just to slip into some boots and not have to do the whole, like... You would, but then you don't have the luxury of lacing your boots tight, you know? So you'd have to, like, 
wear extra socks if they're not perfectly fitting. Yeah, I'd like so to. I'd know. like to try a pair. Maybe like try a pair on. Have you ever worn a? Uh, I've never worn no. a boot foot waiter. So when I worked at Bass Pro, if we had to clean the pond, they had some boot waders. Like boot. What? How do you say that? Boot foot waders. Boot, boot foot waders. Yeah, um, they're stocking foot. Which right. is like the neoprene style, and then there's boot foot. Yeah, um, we had those to put on, and I mean they work, they work, but the boot was never like the right fit, you know. Yeah. So I think you'll you'll miss being able to lace your boots tight. But is the stocking ever the right fit either? Because that's a problem I have with waders. Is my the waders my size? The stockings are always like too long. Yeah. And then you have to like jam them into your boot. Yeah. So. But I would rather it be a little tight than a little little loose. Mm-hmm. You know. Personally, that's just me. I don't know. I want to try a pair on. Do it. Just go to a store and try them on. Go to a cabinet. Dude, nobody cares, carries bootfoot waders. Bass Pro Shops does. Do they carry, like, nice ones, though? No, they're, like, duck no. hunting waders. No. I mean, they're nice, but they're neoprene. They're not, like, Patagonia. You probably have to order a pair from Orvis, and if I don't like them, just return yeah. them. That's I'd, probably what I do. I don't think you're going to like them. No? I don't think so. It's not a luxurious feel that us fly fishers are so used to. <laughs> I don't know, man. They're kind of... Try them. Try them. Kind of interested. It's just like slip on, slip off. Yeah. It's... Then you don't have to worry about (coughs) the whole like, oh, I got dirt on my stocking foot while I'm changing and like all that other... I don't know. I'm I'm boot foot curious. You're boot foot curious. (laughs) Here we go. What is that? That's a Hank Patterson video. I'm yeah. a little fly curious. Yeah, I'm boot foot curious. Boot foot curious. Uh, I'd keep that I at least yourself. like to try a pair on. I got, yeah, I'm no. trying different kinds of waders. How many different kinds are there? Well, I got those ultralights with freaking rubber booties. Oh, yeah. And now I'm thinking about boot foot waders. So That's true. Then you have neoprene waders. Yeah. Have you ever put those on? I have. Those are horrible, too. Yeah. They keep you warm, though. They're, I'll give them that. They're warm. They keep you warm. Like, very warm. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yep. Oh. Well, yeah, you ready know. to move over to our interview with Science on the Fly? Let's do it. Okay. All right, guys. We are sitting at Trout Fest at our booth. We have Allie Cunningham with us. She's with Science on the Fly. And I'm glad that you guys were here because we just recorded a podcast last week where they're like, oh, Science on the Fly. And you're they were not the first person that's mentioned Science on the fly to us on the podcast. So we're excited to have you on the show. Thanks. Hey, guys. It's hey. fun to be on the show. Nice. Uh, I'm glad you guys came over to the booth and said hi to me. Yeah. <laughs> so what is, let's start with this. What is your fishing background? And then what is your science on the fly background? Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, so fishing, um, the full story, I got involved when I was 12. Uh, I used to go to a ranch in Wyoming, a little ranch camp, and we had backpack and do pack trips into the Wind River Range and also into the Tetons. Uh, my instructor at the time had a fly rod, and I was like that annoying 12-year-old, like, hey, can I go fishing with you while you're trying to get away from me? <laughs> um, so we went fishing, and you know, that first hour I caught a bunch of trout. Um, that was up in the Grovant, super fun. And then I kind of forgot about it until I was uh, 16, then uh, or no, 18. And then I was in college, um, summer job, went, brought me back to that ranch camp. Started working as a counselor uh, and a trip leader and my co-leader on one of our backpacking trips had a fly rod. So I was like, hey, can I use your fly rod? Go cast something, see, see how it goes. And first cast, fish on. I was like... Oh, I forgot I liked fly fishing, and I was good at it. <laughs> and then I just ran with it from there. 
Um, so after I graduated from college, uh, so I became the director of uh, the fishing at that ranch camp. And then after college, I was like, what to do now? Um, so I moved to Telluride, worked at their fly shop called Telluride Angler. Um, and then after, while I was working there, I was also cleaning the uh, water coming out of mine tailings. Um, around Telluride, Colorado, we have a lot of abandoned mines. Um, and so I was already doing water sampling, and I was also already in the fly shop. Um, I guided for a little bit. I really, really love teaching kids. Yeah, so I was working at the fly shop. I guided a little bit, realized I hated guiding. Um, I love teaching kids. Mm. Because um, at the ranch camp, I used to teach kids, 15 kids at a time, me and one other person. Yeah. And we would teach them from A to Z how to tie a fly, how to tie a fly, how to fly fish. So at the end, I wasn't untangling anything because they were all proficient in fly fishing. And that was more humbling for me. Um, so I worked at the fly shop for a bit. Also, was doing that water sampling coming out of the mine. Um, and so when this was all happening, I wanted to give back to the environment a little bit more, a little bit more to our watershed. And Dr. Holmes, who had created Science on the Fly, had walked into the fly shop, uh, and he was talking to Telluride Angler owners about starting something called Science on the Fly. And because I was already ingrained in sampling every month for my water testing already, um, is a very easy flow for me to just start sampling for Science on the Fly. So mm -hmm. I was volunteer number one, and I got super passionate about it, and I reached out to Dr. Holmes and Johnny LeCoq, the co-founder or the founder of Fish Pond, um, who co-founded Science on the Fly with Dr. Holmes. And uh, we ran with it from there. And we've grown to over 150, 150 citizen scientists, uh, 39 states, 350 sampling locations, and we're in six countries. And we started in 2019. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. In 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually grew so fast. We grew a lot in 2019, 2020, and 2021 that halfway through 2020, 2021, we had to pause uh, because we need to make sure we are sustainable because science is not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not easy. A lot of our citizen scientists are realizing that. But, uh, yeah, we had to pause make sure we are sustainable. So 150 volunteers seems really great for us to be yeah. able to manage yeah. as well. <laughs> it's a good, good limit. Yeah. So you said water sampling is not easy. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, one, uh, it's a citizen science project. So for Science on the Fly, for us to onboard, we need to make sure the volunteers are onboard about consistently sampling once a month. And we also want to make sure it's accessible for them once a month. Um, but the, the hard thing with the citizen science is People come to us and they're like, it's a lot harder squeezing water through a 22 micron filter that removes bacteria. So you're getting a filtered water sample. The second you push water through a syringe through this really small filter, you are a strong adult and you feel so weak doing it <laughs> that we've actually gotten um, those cock guns for like construction and stuff. We, to actually help. Yeah, we suggest to people, like, if you have a lot of sampling <laughs> locations, like over three, yeah. uh, you, we, we might want to get you one of those so your fingers are actually attached to your hands at the end of the day. <laughs> so you're sampling filtered water. Yeah. And yep. why is that? What's the, what's the reasoning behind that? So the holdover is a lot better for our water samples. So basically they'll go out once a month for sampling to their designated location that's convenient and accessible for them. And then um, they collect their water sample, and so they filter out the um, like total suspended solids right there. So it's going, th it's not going through the filter. We really want to see the inside, the nutrients that are dissolved in the water already. And so 
Um, this filter removes all of the suspended solids that we're going to see. I totally assumed you guys were testing for like bacteria and stuff like that in the water. We're looking specifically at nutrients. Gotcha. So we're looking at nitrate, phosphate, dissolved organic carbon, silica, ammonium, um, and I believe that's it. All of our all of our data is public and it's on our website. Um, nice. Everyone can access it, look at it. Um, so we want to see this filtered water because after they sample uh, the water sample, we ask them to freeze their sample. Um, and then they'll hold on to about six months to a year's worth of samples, strictly because we want a lot of samples in, in a cooler so we can then overnight frozen samples to Woodwell Climate Research mm. Center. So we want to cut down on the waste and the fossil fuels. If you know they sample once a day or one, once, once a, month a month and then ship it once a month, we want to make sure they're shipping. Yeah, more. enough so. to where it's actually like co or not cost effective, but like you said, yeah, yeah. it's better for the yeah. environment. Yeah, and so you know we do a lot in Alaska, um, and we can't freeze stuff when we're on the river in Alaska, floating down a river for ten days. Um, so the filtered water really gets the water um, at a good holdover rate, I guess you could say. Um, so as we're floating, we just need to keep it dark and cool. And we really don't see much changes in it once we ship it to Woodwell Climate Research Center and they analyze it. We're not like, oh, the data's all over the place because it didn't hold over well. Um, and when you say hold nice. over, you're, like, you're, you're meaning like... Like if there's bacteria that got through the filter, it would have been amplifying a nu nutrient concentration yeah, or gotcha. something. So we can have it more reflective on the state of the watershed yeah. as it was when we collected it. Mm. Then 10 days later, where it got amplified because it you know, got a little warmer. Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? It does. No, <laughs> okay. no it, it does make sense. Yeah. 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 I try to describe it well, yeah. but sometimes it's not easy to describe. <laughs> so what are you guys doing with the data? Yeah. Great question. Um, so all of our data is public on our website, scienceonthefly.org. Um, to start, I keep telling people this, but we started in 2019. Right now we're really focusing on the science part. So mm -hmm. just the data collection, data collection. Our goals for Science on the Fly are to see how the watershed is changing over time due to climate change and also due to other human influences. So I like to say there's a long-term portion and a short-term portion of this. Long-term is the climate-related data we're collecting. Um, you can't, we can't really be talking climate trends unless we have a lot more data. Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. not responsible of like us to be doing Years that. and years and years. Yeah, yeah you can't be saying this trend is due to X, Y, Z unless you have a lot more data. Yeah. Um, but... Short-term-wise, you can see those anomalies in the data or those really eye-opening concentrations in the watershed and being like, what's going on here? So the short-term, the human influence, hey, we're going to reach out to that citizen scientist and be like, why are you, your nutrient concentration so much higher than a different watershed? Do you have any reason that you think? Okay, we zoom in. Oh, it's a wastewater treatment plant. Oh, they just had a, they have a cattle farm upstream. So stuff like that. So right now with our data, we're focusing short-term impact-driven actions we can do. And one win for us down here in Texas, and one of the reasons why I'm down here today, um, is because last year, exactly a year ago, Chris Johnson from Living Waters Fly Shop uh, in Round Rock, Texas, mm -hmm. he sampled for us since 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's one of our earliest volunteers. And when you look at the data of all of our 350 sampling locations, he had two locations that were so insanely higher in nitrate concentrations than all of the others in all of the 350 states, like 20 times more. Wow. And it was just that obvious, like, what is happening? 
Um, so we reach out to Chris. Chris is like, oh, that's obvious. It's her wastewater treatment facility. They're <laughs> super out of compliance. Like, this is nothing new to me. Mm. Um, but he actually had our public data to be able to prove it. So with this data, this was a really fun win for us. And it was like our early win for us because we're so young of a company and we're still trying to figure out exactly, you know, there's a lot of work you can do with the research we're getting in. Um, a lot of things we can focus on. But this story was really interesting because it's really tangible. Our volunteer, our citizen scientist um, is living and breathing this discharge coming out. And so we came down here. We, ha we happened to have a... a uh, Stash, who is our producer, um, he also lives in Telluride, um, and he's on our core team of those that help start science on the fly. And uh, we brought his video camera and our public data. We went out to the river, and I mean, the citizens that lived right below the wastewater treatment plant for years or for a couple months, they've been getting told like, oh, the reason your watershed looks this gross is because of the construction that's happening upstream. And they were mortified, like almost in tears that we were there to show up to do something about this watershed now. And we were just coming down to see it. And we put on our waders. We got to the river. It was so disgusting. Really? I mean, it looked like poop. smelled like poop. Yeah. And this is Brushy Lights. Creek you're talking about. Oh, this is Brushy Creek. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. uh, Chris came <laughs> on a couple it. months ago to kind of tell us and talk about yeah. it a little bit. Yeah, you guys should get an update from him, too. Yeah. Because his updates are awesome. Yeah. Um, so... February last year, we were down here, did that. I like to say Science on the Fly strictly helped with the exposure side. So we got that public data, and we had it on camera. Chris standing in that seam yeah. of the outflow. Yeah. I, I think we've all like, seen yeah, that video. It's so Just, disgusting, yes. but you guys saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, action was taken. Yeah. Um, and so and I really think Chris and the city of Round Rock and the citizens around there, you guys all amplified and got together and uh, raised the issue that you guys – had such a I mean you still have so much work to do but like you guys within six months got a tertiary filtration system approved by the city of Round Rock and now in June of last year so June of 2020 you guys had the cleanest wastewater treatment facility than any in the state of Texas yeah. so mm. you guys should be really proud of it there's still so much work to do um, but hopefully we all have the momentum now to make sure it gets better and better and better um, so that's what we can do with our dad in the short term right now the human influence impacts, can we do anything to really help influence it? Yeah. So we're going to start working, hopefully, on some policy side with it. Um, but that's coming here soon for Science on the Fly. So you had mentioned that it was 20 times higher in nitrates. Mm -hmm. So, and you guys are test that's something that you guys are testing for um, in your sampling. So what... What does high nitrates indicate is happening in a water stream or some of these other things that you're sampling? Like, mm -hmm. what is that data that you're pulling tell you about a waterway? Yeah, so each river is going to be our, our little motto for science on the fly is every river tells a story. Yep. It's really interesting when you start looking. So I'm not the PhD chemist out of our group. That is the guy that founded this, Dr. Max Holmes. He is the CEO and president of Woodwell Climate Research Center. So we're a project of Woodwell Climate Research Center. But it's really fun to see the charts that are getting produced with the data because you can zoom in in many different ways and determining on how you want to tell the story of your river. So with this one, it was very obvious. It was just like healthy everywhere for all of our sampling locations and Brushy Creek, just a clear different line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's going. To, that was a very clear indicator 
just how it lined up that it was a wastewater treatment facility issue. He was sampling three locations upstream of the wastewater treatment facility, and they're healthy. Mm-hmm. There are normal limits. Directly below it, they had two locations that clearly were getting affected yeah. by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so different stories we can start telling. Um, for example, I'm actually based in Colorado, in Telluride, Colorado, so I sample the San Miguel River there. I've been sampling since 2019. Um, So we have a lot of data. Uh, I go out every two weeks, actually, and sample, not every month. Um, And so I just got my report back, which is really fun. All of our citizen scientists will get a report on the state of their watershed. And then hopefully they'll become activists and, you know, go to their local local river keeper or just they're more informed of it and they can start taking action if they start seeing something off. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, it's really fun because we have the same issue. We have a wastewater treatment facility in Telluride. We've been putting our fingers at it since more or less this one was occurring. We're like, oh, yeah, we have a high, spi- high spike in nitrates there, but we're not having that high, spi- high spike of ammonium that you would technically see if it was more um, wastewater issues. Um, and so this picture is being drawn, but we were, it wasn't equaling fully like a wastewater issue. Mm. And this is the first 10 miles of our headwaters. Like, and then it flows into the Dolores River, and then the Dolores goes into the Colorado. Um, you know, if we're having issues in our first 10 miles, you know, we should be opening our eyes. Yeah, right. And they're not big issues. Like, they're very controlled in Telluride, but we still were focusing on the story of it's a wastewater issue at this location we're sampling. But then it wasn't adding up with our data. And we realized, oh, it's more fertilizer-based. Okay, what's upstream of the wastewater? Oh, we have a golf course in Telluride. Might be that. But this is all preliminary. We have to really start investigating. Once we start seeing the anomalies, what we want to do is dig deeper. Is there something we can do about mm-hmm. it? Is it an anomaly that's reoccurring or is it once? Like yeah. the wastewater treatment in Telluride that I happened to catch, it got struck by lightning that day. <laughs> oh, it so it was a down. one-off time rather right. than... Yeah, so we're not going to, you know, we want to zoom in, make sure... If they're doing their due diligence, great. But someone like Round Rock, Texas, and they have a wastewater treatment facility that's, you know, barely getting slapped on the wrist for being out of compliance. I mean, they were, I was reading the report before I came. They were 24 times their E. coli limits going into the watershed. And they were telling everyone is construction-based. And they weren't even informing the citizens it was dangerous to go into that water. Yeah, so. they were literally just using whatever they wanted to rather than actually looking at the data. Yeah, and so all of a sudden these citizen scientists have access to this data and they can, you know, start rallying for their watershed, which yeah. is really fun. So that was an unexpected win in use of our data for science on the fly, but now it gives us momentum to, hey, that is a massive issue in this country yeah. and start focusing on it. And it's, I mean, it's not going to be easy, but now we have anglers that have the ambition and the tools they need to, mm-hmm. you know, fight for the river, which is really exciting. <coughs> That's really cool. So I was going to say, so, you know, we can strike this if we need to, but, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation right now on, online about, like, the East Palestine, um, what, like, all their water rate, all their waterways, like the fish oh, kill like and everything. The, uh, the, the train, train, the train, train, train yeah. derailment, you know what I mean? With all the chemicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The Ohio River. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like, when, if you guys had samples from there, like, would that be something you guys were able to test? Or do the filters take out all of those chemicals and stuff as well? It's a great question. I brought up to the lab last week. I was like, we need to get our science, like, yeah. science <laughs> yeah, right. sampling. And then they're like, that is so dangerous for them, Allie. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, from 
from the science side, it's really fun to geek out on it right. and see it. Um, real, we need to make sure everyone's being safe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, realistically. Yeah. yeah, you're just going and playing with these, math, these awful yeah. chemicals. Yeah. 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 yeah, and honestly, I bet it would have broken our Astoria, uh, which is our, our uh, machine to analyze the nutrients. Yeah. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah. But, no, so, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm sure people will look into it at some yeah. point, but... Yeah, and that's like kind of leading up to science on the fly in general. We really want to utilize this data to add to the data set of climate science um, so that we can make more informed policies. So for us, um, if we're having all of these intensified storms creating flooding, pushing citizens out of their homes, or people more at risk that are living along these watersheds that are now experiencing a lot more floods, you know, we can hopefully with our data start being able to indicate and see these trends with our data and help inform policy to make sure they're better off or they have the insurance they're allowed to have for, you know, flood risk. Um, we do a lot in Alaska. We study permafrost that's thawing. Um, permafrost it, uh, has a bunch of carbon, and we want to see how the carbon is leaking into the watershed over yeah. time. Um, and it's, you know, this thing with climate change that is happening but no one's paying attention to it with in terms of permafrost and, also, and people who don't happening. know permafrost is is ice that has been frozen for years and yeah. years and years and mm -hmm. because of global warming or global temperatures rising it is melting yep and so our our larger organization is really looking more at the surface i guess you could say um the methane that's getting released um you know that secret bomb that's going off in the arctic um but then we have us looking at the the river specifically and then hopefully over time you know, we can start teaming up with the ichthyologists and the entomologists and start talking and telling this more full picture of the watershed and informing everyone, and us included, on, you know, what is happening to these watersheds that, say, we're getting thawed with permafrost. Uh, how is the chemistry changing, but also how is it affecting the salmon? How is it affecting the rainbow trout up there? How is yeah. it affecting the railing? Um, yeah, it's really interesting. There's one river up in Alaska. We sample where the Yukon-Kuskokwim watershed is. It's at the lowermost part of the permafrost belt. Um, and we are really fascinated by this area because of the permafrost. But there's one river in particular called the Eek. And I'm really excited because this summer we get to sample it. And uh, no one wants to fish it because there's no rainbow trout in this one section. Mm. And so hopefully we can start seeing that data and then... You know, over time, kind of figure out we can why. use that for the maybe why is there no rainbow trout yeah. in this, but also long term, the climate related side. Yeah. So I don't think I knew that as um, this permafrost is melting, it's releasing methane mm -hmm. into, into the atmosphere. So that's happening up up north. Mm -hmm. So, yep. I mean, like, are, are we seeing like like levels of like with livestock and big corporations or is it just, I mean, like, I, I guess first time ever he hearing about it. Well, yeah, because... I think uh, it's not being talked about enough. Yeah, not at all. Um, our research team, uh, so Science on the Fly is a tiny project of it. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much more research going on. So Woodwell Climate Research Center has teams uh, all along. They just got a really big grant, actually. Um, and they have all these stations to see the carbon fluxes um, happening on the permafrost. Um, but it's not being exposed and that's what our like we have this data now to be able to help inform policy to talk about this perm this permafrost that's thawing and if you look at the numbers um and folks at woodwell have a better gauge on it more than me but i mean it is 
it can be significantly more than what the human emissions are. But obviously, the human emissions are causing some of the warm, right. you know, a lot of the warming and then the permafrost thawing. But this thaw, as it's happening, it's a lot more extreme than, you know, a lot of the human emissions that yeah. we're putting out there. So it's, uh, it's really fascinating, but it's like this thing not no one's really aware of yeah. because why would you be? Like, no one's talking about it, mm. and we're trying to talk about it, but right. there's a lot of people in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you had mentioned earlier that it's really expensive to do testing. Yeah. So how are you guys raising money and funding all of this testing? I mean, this is a lot of 100, yeah. 150 yeah, citizen so scientists. <laughs> once a month collecting once samples, sending them in. Yeah. You know, yeah. Right, yeah. Not so the math on that, uh, it's $100 per 60 milliliter water bottle. So that's, you know, say two inches if you... See how I'm holding my hand right now. <laughs> is that one the equivalent of one sample? Yeah, that's so one sample. It's a hundred dollars per sample. Per sample, and Ooh. that includes the materials, the shipping, the analysis. It's going to be ninety percent to for the analysis mm. of the data at the lab, and then the report writing. Uh, we raise a lot of our money, and we're funded strictly through foundations and individual donors. Um, but we also do do individual grants as well. Um, we really are, you know, we do a little bit of everything, yeah. but we uh, more foundations. But then the larger nonprofit as a whole, um, more larger grants. Okay. Yeah. And who are those grants through the state or? We'll see, feds? like NOAA, uh, feds, um, a, more of the feds. But honestly, I would just cut that because I'm not involved in those projects. <laughs> like. Oh. There's so I'm many. Sure there's it's like fine. 50 I mean, projects. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. a little yeah. bit of everything. So when if people, yeah. um, so you guys are, like I said, I've just been aware of you guys the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, how are you guys focused on getting your name out there? And if people want, I mean, like you said you guys are pretty much capped right now with volunteers. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it'd be cool if we did a San Antonio River. Yeah. One. That would be an interesting one to kind of. of us. Yeah. 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 We're gonna get the Guadalupe River here sampling soon. Yeah, I was. I, I was curious. Yeah. Really, guys, I, I'm curious that uh, you guys haven't had the Guad yet. Well, so we grew so fast. Uh, 2019, 2020. You know, we are this free toolkit yeah. for people to give back to their watershed. Um, so why aren't you? You know, everyone signed up. Everyone wants to do it. We onboarded so much. I onboarded our 150 volunteers. So fun to know. The story behind the watershed they want to sample, why they want to sample it. Mm. Um, I learned so much about the watersheds around our country in those two years I was onboarding that I did a road trip. And I kept crossing all these rivers on my road trip. And I was like, and they're like small little creeks. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, this person from this state samples here. <laughs> it kept me awake during my night portion oh, of the drive. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> I wish I could have stopped to fish. But because I knew all their secrets because yeah. they told me. <laughs> Um, we're getting, we're working on that. Yeah. Um, it's, we're a pretty small team. Um, I'm fully paid. Uh, this is, I don't have to work four jobs anymore. Oh my gosh. Um, nice. And then we have Andrea in the lab. We have Joe who helps us at, uh, Woodwell. Um, so we're just starting to work on marketing, getting out there. Um, this is our first festival and event. So hopefully we'll start doing more because it's been really fun being here. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then you can always go to our website, scienceonthefly.org. You can see all of the rivers we're sampling. Pretty soon we're going to have a little area. You can always see the data we're collecting, but pretty soon you can really zoom in, um, see a lot of more background on that specific watershed we're okay. sampling. And then uh, 
you're right, we are not currently onboarding um, yeah. because we just need to make sure we are sustainable. So the, indiv the individual donations are great. We do sponsor rivers. So if groups are willing to, you know, if groups want to sample, we can onboard them. Sponsor rivers, $1,200 a year for one sampling location. Um, so like $100 per location times 12 yeah. mm -hmm. months. Um, and so if there's a group of people, you know, we can do it that way. Um, but yeah, it's... It's, we've been doing podcasts, so this yeah. is great. Thanks yeah. for having us on no, this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and if you guys ever want to do the San Antonio River, we'll take we'll collect samples. Yeah. That'd be a fun yeah. thing to talk about on the podcast every time we do it, and then like dive into the data, and bring in, yeah, yeah. like check yeah. it out. And then it's really fun when you get your like tangible report written. Uh -huh. Then you can geek out over it, and yeah. you're like, "Look at that trend! Oh my god, remember <laughs> that rain event yeah. right here?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully our, we are pretty behind on the reports because we were so fast, and also yeah. we got like all this data in our lab at once. Um, so Andrea's been really great and cranking out at the lab yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, are you guys gearing people? So like, you, it sounds like you guys are really putting this information for the individual at their watersheds. That way, they can take care of it, right? They can take it to uh, whatever board meetings or their or their mm -hmm. local government, however they need to. Are you guys training or kind of gearing people up in that as well? Or, or we we're not planning on any yeah. of that. It strictly came out of passion. Yeah. Um, so. Like, even for me, I like to say that I, you know, I was an angler for so many years. And then all of a sudden I started sampling and I turned from being an angler who, who you know, it's like looking at the hatches and looking at the fish and looking at the holes to fish. And all of a sudden I turned into looking at my resource yeah. and my watershed. And that's, you see that the second the volunteers start sampling, which is so cool for us mm -hmm. to see. And we have someone that samples in Ohio and he has just jumped full on and he was an angler and then all of a sudden he's like coordinating their river cleanup projects now because yeah. he's so into his watershed and protecting it and making sure it's healthy mm -hmm. and so we have all of they all turn into their little activists themselves yeah and i did it too like i started as volunteer number one and i was like this is insane why aren't we doing this everywhere and I talked to Dr. Max Holmes, and he was like, who are you? I was like, <laughs> I'm Allie. I sample for you until you're fine. And, you know, we I had the motivation. I see it in all of our citizen scientists. Yeah. Uh, and we all just get together and activate, and all of a sudden our yeah. watersheds hopefully are getting cleaner and have a voice As a them. teacher, too, Zach, it'd be cool. I mean, you would probably have to do all the sampling, but to show that to your students. Oh, yeah. As well. Well, well even students then. Students are fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that, a lot of them would be into it. But you yeah. said, too, like all, most of your data is online as well, right? Yeah. All of our data is online. Um, you said sixth grade yeah. for your school. So. Honestly, sixth grade is probably like the earliest. I would say it's probably a little too. Yeah. Like I could probably like dumb it down a little bit, you know. <laughs> well, it's uh, not even that. It's the fact that they can't push the water through the syringe and the filter because it's really hard. Oh, I'm just saying because like my main goal for them is like sixth grade is kind of when we're introduced into like data tables and all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like kind of showing the trends and we can kind of yeah. Zach could be like, oh, I went out and collected water. Yeah, and I mailed it yeah. off, and this is the data that we got back, and this yeah. is yeah, mm -hmm. it would be really cool. Yeah. yeah, or talk about like what they think might have affected the numbers and that sort of yeah. thing. So yeah, we like to do whenever we can because like I said, I. I wasn't really into guiding. I love teaching kids. So yeah. when we started Science on the Fly, um, in Telluride, I had started their uh, their fly fishing summer camp for Telluride anglers. So when Science on the Fly started, I started intertwining it into their camp. Mm. Um, and now uh, I try to teach whenever I get asked to for um, the Science on the Fly portion. 
And I love it. And all the kids come away with it being like, I can do this as a career. Like, yeah. I can mm. squirt water through a water filter. <laughs> <laughs> it's my career. And fish at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but it's really fun. And I think it's important for them to see that they can make a difference with their watershed. Um, and that they also have this, you know, you don't have to just, Doctors are great. We need doctors in this role. Yeah. But there's other opportunities out there. And yep. I, I was not someone that did stuff by the books. Like, I was good in school, but I did really well with field work, like, mm-hmm. out in the field. Um, and so I think allowing them to sh- see that there's opportunities in so many different degrees, so many different fields. We need we need to expose kids to that, and yeah. it's fun. Well, also showing them that, like, science is more than just being in a classroom. Like, that's yeah. the biggest thing. Is like, when am I ever going to use this? It's yeah. like, well, this is an actual result of mm-hmm. what science can show you know? yeah 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 and like it's it's fun for the citizen scientists like soon they'll be getting this tangible reports and we're gonna have zoom calls before each report comes out with the citizen scientists that's been collecting for that specific area and we're just gonna sit there and talk like hey this is what your data looks like do you have any thoughts on why this might be looking like this this might be looking like they they know the river better than us sitting in yeah. a lab. Um, and so we're getting informed. They're getting informed from the data that's coming out. And then all of a sudden, they're going to inform their friends about it. Yeah. And it's really great. It's really yeah. fun. And track trends. and Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, Allie, this was awesome. Thank great. you yeah. so much for sitting Thanks with us. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm just so glad you guys <laughs> were yeah. here because yeah. like, the we second s- they I mentioned this past week, yeah. I was like, oh, man, I'd love to talk to them. Yeah, we <laughs> get them on the podcast. And then I walked in and, like, first booth I see, Science on the Fly. I'm like, oh. Yeah. We, did, we looked at we were like, hey, Science on the Fly is yeah. here. Yeah. You know? yeah. We were, like, nerding out. Yeah. Well, Landon yeah. and Zach, thanks for having no. me on. This is fun. Um, it's fun to hear that, you know, Science on the Fly has been talked about, too. You know, oh, with yeah. Texas A&M folks. Um, but... Yeah, hopefully we can do this again. Maybe Trout Fest 2024. For oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe have some data to look over. Maybe you'll have data on San and when Antonio. You, and when you guys open up for uh, new citizen scientists, me and Zach can yeah, we'll be there. And honestly, anyone that wants to sample, feel free. Go online. We have an onboarding platform where you can fill out okay. to fill out your email and then just give a description about where you want to sample. Nice. Um, so if we have a volunteer that might have to pass off sampling, I have a whole running list of people in those areas that have been interested. Gotcha. Reach out to you guys. Hey, let's get you on board. Yeah. Um, but I do, I've had some people, you know, we started in 2020, 2019, 2020, COVID hit. Life tests have changed a lot and many times. Um, so, if we have any volunteers that, you know, need to pass off, yeah, we have a list. And anyone out there that's signed up and I haven't responded, I'm really sorry. But <laughs> um, it's me and Andrea, and I'm, <laughs> I'm really trying to catch up on my emails right now. <laughs> so are you guys on Instagram, Science on the Fly? Yeah, we're Science on the Fly, and then scienceonthefly.org. Um, you can find us there. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Great. Allie. Thanks, Landon. Thanks, Zach. All right. We ready? Look in the description below to find links to our website, online store, YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Discord server, and blog. Please send your podcast questions and inquiries to info at honeyholeangling.com. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you again next week.